Section 19 of Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. The Boyhood of Fionn, Chapter 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Fanu Jahangiri. Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens. A new life for Fionn in the robber's den that was hidden in a vast cold marsh. A tricky place that would be with sudden exits and even sudden entrances, and with damp, winding, spidery places to hold treasure in or to hide oneself in. If the robber was a solitary, he would, for lack of someone else, have talked greatly to Fionn. He would have shown his weapons and demonstrated how he used them and with what slash he chipped his victim and with what slice he chopped him. He would have told why a slash was enough for this man and why that man should be sliced. All men are masters when one is young, and Fionn would have found knowledge here also. He would have seen Fiacuil's great spear that had thirty rivets of Arabian gold in its socket, and that had to be kept wrapped up and tied down so that it would not kill people out of mere spitefulness. It had come from fiery out of the she of Aileen MacMidna, and it would be brought back again later on between the same man's shoulder blades. What tales that man could tell a boy, and what questions a boy could ask him. He would have known a thousand tricks, and because our instinct is to teach, and because no man can keep a trick from a boy, he would have shown them to Fionn. There was the marsh too, a whole new life to be learned, a complicated mysterious, dank, slippery, reedy, treacherous life, but with its own beauty and an allurement that could grow on one so that you could forget the solid world and love only that which quaked and gurgled. In this place you may swim, but this sign and this you will know if it is safe to do so, said Fiacuil Makona. But in this place, with this sign on it and that, you must not venture at all. But where Fionn would venture his toe, his ears would follow. There are coiling weeds down there, the rubber consult him. There are thin, tough, snaky binders that will trip you and grip you, that will pull you and will not let you go again until you are drowned, until you are swaying and swinging away below, without stretched arms, without stretched legs, with a face all stirs and smiles and jockeyings, gripped in those leathery arms until there is no more to be gripped of you even by them. Watch these and this and that, Fionn would have been told, and always swim with a knife in your teeth. He lived there until his guardians found out where he was and came after him. Fiacuil gave him up to them, and he was brought home again to the woods of Sleeve Blue. But he had gathered great knowledge and new supplenesses. The sons of Mona left him alone for a long time. Having made their essay, they grew careless. Let him be, they said. He will come to us when the time comes. But it is likely, too, that they had had their own means of getting information about him. How he shaped, what muscles he had, and did he spring clean from the mark, or had he to get off with a push? Fiona stayed with his guardians and hunted for them. He could run a deer down and, and howl it home by the reluctant skull. Come on, girl, he would say to his stag, or lifting it over a tussock with a tough grip on the snout. 
Are you coming, Volcona? Or shall I kick you in the neck? The time must have been nigh when he would think of taking the world itself by the nose, to howl it over Tossacks and drag it into his pen. For he was of the breed in whom mastery is born, and who are good masters. But reports of his prowess were getting abroad. Clanmona began to stretch itself uneasily, and one day his guardian sent him on his travels. It is best for you to leave us now, they said to the tall stripling, for the sons of Mona are watching again to kill you. The woods at that may have seemed haunted. A stone might sling at one from a treetop, but from which tree of a thousand trees did it come? An arrow buzzing by one's ear would slide into the ground and quiver there silently, menacingly, hinting of the brothers it had left in the quiver behind. To the right, to the left, how many brothers, in how many quivers? Fion was a woodsman, but he had only two eyes to look with, one set of feet to carry him in one sole direction. But when he was looking to the front what, or how many watts, could be staring at him from the black, he might face in that direction away from or towards a smile on a hidden face and a finger on a string. A lance might slide at him from this bush or from that one yonder. In the night he might have fought them, his ears against theirs, his noiseless feet against their lurking ones, his knowledge of the wood against their legion. But during the day he had no chance. Few went to seek his fortune, to match himself against all that might happen, and to carve a name for himself that will live while time has an ear and knows an Irishman. End of chapter 7